Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Who Knew We Didn't, the podcast where we talk about psychology, research, and psychological studies. We try to digest these things and how they apply to our everyday lives. My name is Megan, and my partner in podcasting here is... Marta. Hey. Marta. Uh, and happy birthday, by the way. It was Marta's birthday just the other day, so oh, she's shucks. grown into <laughs> such a fine young thing. Um, if you've listened to this podcast before, then you know that we are both big true crime buffs, and Although we really like talking about psychology on its own, we really like it anytime that we can bring psychology and true crime together. So that's what we're going to try and do today. We are talking about psychological criminal profiling. What's the history? How does it work? Is it legitimate in terms of investigating crime scenes or apprehending an offender? So I think, Marta, you're going to start us off today, talk about the history, and then we'll, yeah, we'll go from there. Thank you for that intro, Megan. So... Uh, just as an overview, criminal profiling is also called criminal investigative analysis by the FBI, and it was kind of the FBI who started the whole movement into it. And the definition of it is it's the investigation of a crime with the hope of identifying the responsible party based on crime scene analysis, investigative psychology and behavioral science. Um, it's interesting that they have investigative psychology in there because that can kind of be called its own field. Mm -hmm. So criminal profiling, as I'm sure you're going to get into, is like as much an art as it is a science. Um, the psychologist Harvey Schlossberg was the formal, former director of psychological services for the NYPD. And even he's saying like a lot of it is an art. It's mm -hmm. not really based in science. But the things that are based in sci science are fields like forensic psychology and investigative psychology. And there's a nuanced difference between those branches of psychology and things that we refer to as uh, criminal profiling mm -hmm. because criminal profiling it started out with the FBI as I'm going to mention and a lot of it was just like intuition or experience of what the other crimes that you've investigated mm -hmm. before and you're like oh based on that other dude this dude's this way too so yeah it's there's a nuanced difference but I'll talk about the slightly more specifics so the Criminal profiling is a cross between law enforcement and psychology, uh, but practitioners of criminal profiling themselves don't always agree on methodology or even the terminology mm -hmm. and what they call themselves, and they all call themselves different things, and each police unit has somebody different, like it's either a criminal psychologist or forensic criminologist or whatever the heck, so it, it's always kind of referring to the same ballpark even oh. just researching this i would like i googled uh criminal profiling or psychological criminal profiling and it was like did you mean offender profiling did you mean you know like mm -hmm. it, yeah yeah so it's frustrating because it's hard to kind of nail down a term which was similar to our experience with the psychopath sociopath yeah, yeah you're right so Everybody in, like, the criminal sciences field likes to just throw around all the terms they can find, I guess, which is whatever. Um, criminal profiling, as far as the FBI goes, when they're looking at a crime, they look at four things. So they look at the antecedent, the thing that caused them to commit the crime, uh, method and manner of the crime, body disposal, and post-offensive behavior. The um, All of these things together are analyzed and behaviors are kind of extracted, like they infer what the person's personality must be mm -hmm. or like different parts of the criminal must be based on that um 
The offender description, so the actual profile itself, can include psychological factors and demographic variables. So psychological factors could be like personality traits, psychopathologies, such as mental illness, um, and behavioral patterns. And then demographic variables include age, race, and geographic location. Criminal profiling is also involved in these stages of the criminal justice process. So investigation, which we know very Mm -hmm. well, apprehension, and then prosecution. Prosecution, I would say, is... The area that is um, most like undervalued as far as criminal profiling goes, or like personally, I think is undervalued because um, like the whole insanity plea, or mm-hmm. like this person knew that they were committing a crime, and so they're not, or like they knew they were doing something wrong, so it's not eligible for the insanity plea or whatever. Like a lot of forensic psychologists actually sit on the stand, like or. Yeah. Do they serve work. as an expert? Yeah, yeah. On yeah. um, um, during criminal ju- criminal trials, and I think that that's really important. And maybe we should take a look at that, like on its own. Yeah, yeah. On another day. So now the history of criminal profiling. So the first application of criminal profiling techniques, arguably, was in 1888 with the case of Jack the Ripper. Um, Physicians George Phillips and Thomas Bond used autopsy results and crime scene evidence to extrapolate behavioral characteristics and lifestyle of Jack the Ripper. Of course, we'll never know if they were right because it wasn't solved and it was quite long ago. So I doubt any new evidence is coming out. Um, (laughs) If there was like a huge break in that case, can you imagine? (laughs) They're like, oh, we just read over the same things that we've read over. And no, there was no DNA evidence on the... What is it? What what solved the Golden State Killer? Uh, I, I don't remember where he left DNA at a crime scene, but they surreptitiously uh, acquired a, his DNA after using a familial DNA yeah, testing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Familial DNA. So, like, Ancestry. No, 23andMe or something like that. Yeah, and something it was all like online. that. So, I doubt there was anybody doing that kind of testing in 1888. No, def not. I don't uh, even know if they would have collected... DNA at the Did crime scene of that, or like DNA? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, all women were lying down when they were murdered, and they, uh, the, they used that as part of their profile, their criminal profile, and also the authorities, like the, um, what do you call cops? Law enforcement? Yes, law enforcement authorities. And law enforcement thought that Jack the Ripper was medically trained because he would remove the organs of their of his um, victims. victims yeah. But the two physicians, Thomas Bond and George Phillips, were like, no, he has no medical training. He's not even a butcher or anything because of how the women were cut. So sometimes they can come in with like outside knowledge and be like no actually you guys are wrong so in this case it might have helped if they had solved the crime Mm -hmm. um in 1912 so 20 years later a psychologist in lackawanna new york i don't know if i pronounced that right um he delivered a lecture about the things he thought might be right about the postcard killer but we won't know if he was right Mm -hmm. he just like that's one of the timestamps. in 1932 dr dudley schoenfield gave predictions of the personality of a kidnapper to authorities um but the baby i think was recovered so uh i actually didn't look into what this. case was that um it was, was that the Lindbergh baby yes you know more about it then yeah they did um they did find the body oh but 
uh, oh wait, did they find the body? Yeah, they did. They did find the body because they did a bunch of investigating about wh- how how the baby must have died because of like how he was found. Oh. But they, uh, I actually think there was also a conviction in that case. But then it was like, no, I don't think that that is what happened. Um, My favorite murder did an episode on the Lindbergh baby. Is and this the I, baby that was dropped down while they were heading down the ladder. ladder. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. They were, the baby was taken from a second story window down a ladder and they think that the baby was actually killed like during the kidnapping um, by mistake. And so it may have originally been a ransom situation, but mm. then the baby was killed. And there's also a lot of theories that um, it was like an inside job. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think I remember it now that you said that they did an episode on it. Yeah. Um, I should have looked into that more. <laughs> um, in 1943, Walter Langer developed a profile of Hitler, and he gave predictions on how Hitler would react to different scenarios and tried to suggest how to win the war hmm. um, with this profile. That's interesting. Hmm. Well, I mean, they were trying everything they could, right? Yeah, I guess so. so. But that's kind of a... Huh. Cool. I wonder how good the profile was. Like how correct it was. Maybe they should do a profile on Trump. <laughs> Megan sips tea. It's coffee, but it was like I was sipping. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then here we get where like the fire starts really to take flight. So 1956, Dr. James A. Brussel undertook the first systematic offender profile in a U.S. criminal investigation. So it was, there was this guy called the Mad Bomber. He apparently held resentment over a workplace injury he had suffered years earlier. And this was something that Dr. Brussel got spot on. Um, they found 30 small bombs in New York between the years of 1940 and 1956. So over the course of 16 years, this guy was just like bombing places. Yeah. Um, According to the profile, he was unmarried, a foreigner, self-educated, middle-aged, and resided in Connecticut. One thing I learned while typing Connecticut is that it's not spelled the way you think. No, there's a C in the middle of there. Connecticut. Who does that? Connect that ticket. Ooh. That's exactly Apparently it. is a mnemonic device for remembering how to spell Connecticut. Um, this guy also suffered from paranoia, had a vendetta against the Con Edison Power Company, which is where the first bomb was found. Um, and some of these things were common sense, which is something that they brought up when talking about the profile. And that's, again, something that I would like to use as a critique against yep. criminal profiling. Yep. Because common sense doesn't have statistics in it (laughs) (laughs) and we have cognitive biases which we've already talked about at length um and then so something that was interesting that dr brussel brought into this is because he was a practicing psychiatrist he knew a lot about paranoia and he knew that paranoia tends to peak in men around the age of 35 so he reasoned that when they were looking for him in 1956 that it'd be he'd be around his 50s and he was right so there's certain things that yeah it does work like when it works it works and i don't think it's i mean like it could be harmful because it could lead investigators the wrong way but i mean like let's not assume that it's always right but if it's right then that's exciting um and then the in 19 1974 the fbi formed the behavioral science unit in quantico um and this happened two years after j edgar hoover passed away um and the reason that it 
I mentioned that is because J. Edgar Hoover was a uh, skeptic of psychology and a skeptic of behavioral profiling. So he was kind of stopping the FBI. Yeah, from, he was the director and when he was gone, then they could do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and from what I read, because I, I read the book Mindhunter. Yeah. And there's a series this, on Netflix yeah. as well. So like that's kind of where the FBI is where criminal profiling kind of took flight and in the 70s. FBI profiler John Douglas, Robert Ressler, and Roy Hazelwood invented computer-based modern-day criminal profiling in the 1980s. This is called the Hunter Integrated Telemetry System Database. Um, up until that point, the criminal profiling was pretty much only used on sex crimes. Mm -hmm. uh, but then after that, in the 1990s, it started being used for arson, terrorism, and burglary. Uh, and it also started to turn more scientific around this time. So psychologist David Cantor founded the field of investigative psychology in the 1990s. And because he was like, because he was taking part in spearheading it in psychology itself, this was responsible for a more scientific approach to the otherwise unscientific approach that the FBI had until that point. Um, and then in 1992, the first crime classification manual was published for the FBI. Uh, they're on to version two, and you can actually find it online for free. Whoa, really? Yeah, I was uh, looking at it earlier today. And it's, it's interesting, but a lot of it feels very, like, intuition-y. Yeah. Like, put your hand on this crystal ball and whatever. Yeah. Um, and then in more recent years, so within the last decade, the FBI has started bringing in forensic psychologists and actually focusing on being science-based. So that is the history. That's the short history of criminal profiling. It hasn't been around for a long time, but people always want to try to explain things however they can. Um, and again, these are not to be confused or criminal profiling is not to be confused with like actual scientific disciplines such as forensic psychology and investigative psychology um, and that sort of thing and then one last thing that I wanted to just point out because I couldn't help it when we're talking about behavioral profiling or criminal profiling like it seems that people forget that behavior does not indicate who you are or like mm -hmm. your personality so different people act different ways in different situations because the strength of a situation is really powerful so if you're looking for somebody who killed once it doesn't necessarily mean that they are a killer like mm -hmm. because behavior we're more than the sum of our worst choices yeah yeah <laughs> exactly so this like as far as criminal profiling goes it's usually um applied to like serial killers or serial mm -hmm. criminals which then it makes sense because like you're probably this kind of person if you keep committing these crimes yeah repeated behaviors is like that is something that could be indicative of yeah. personality. Yeah, but um, behavior in and of itself, just because you acted a some certain way, doesn't mean that you are a certain mm -hmm. type of person. And behavior is a really poor predictor of who people are because environment has so much to play with it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's tough to be scientific if you're not even using, like, the definitions of the words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for the his that history of criminal profiling. No um, before I start talking about, like, I, I wanted to talk about um, 
how it's used and how it's done and all of these things. And I got really excited about it when we first started researching it. But then I got into it and realized that there is a lot of criticism (laughs) of criminal profiling. So the bulk of what I'm going to talk about today are those criticisms. But before I get into that, um, I want to give a brief outline of how one might build a criminal profile. Mm -hmm. Um, So... um, Having multiple crime scenes to analyze is actually very helpful in building a a profile, unfortunately, Uh, but a lot can be gathered from one crime scene. Um, A list of things from a a crime scene would help to build a profile, like the time of day and location, the type of crime, the type of weapon or how the weapon was used, um, the victim themselves, their gender, age or race, like many killers kill within their own race. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's things that can be gathered from that. Um, if there was a sexual assault that could help them determine if they should be looking for somebody with a history of sexual assaults in their background Um, if there's trace evidence uh, whether a crime scene appears to have been staged uh, whether or not a token of the crime has been taken by the suspect like if they can tell that because that helps to understand how sophisticated or experienced the suspect might be um, as well as the level of possibly the level of education or their background and demographics and things like that. So um, a lot of like the evidence you would find at a crime scene is what you would use to build a criminal profile. Um, And if that's what you're using, Uh, I like it. Um, But as we'll find as we get into some criticisms here, sometimes it does feel like criminal profilers kind of take it too far and they're making assumptions on things that maybe there's no like factual basis to make that assumption I guess you could say um so so you're telling me that criminal minds isn't fact (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so I want to let you know, uh, listeners, that a lot of what I am taking here, I found in an article in The New Yorker written by Malcolm Gladwell. And I did so because he is smart and did a lot of research. <laughs> um, and he spoke to um, people worth listening to, I guess you should say. So yeah. uh, that's where I got a lot of the information here. But I also found a few other um journals that had reviewed criminal profiling. So I've incorporated some of those facts as well. Uh, So first off, uh, in a review of the literature by Joseph Eastwood and his company in the Canadian Journal of Police and Security Services, uh, one of the studies in that review uh, showed that trained criminal profilers did not do any better than non-profilers in Uh, producing an accurate profile. When was this? 2006. Okay. Yeah. Um, Another study in the Journal of Interpersonal Violence, which was in 2000, uh, showed that profilers were not significantly better at creating a profile than any other participating group. Oh, I actually found a study uh, during my research as well on the because a big part of the FBI is like or a big part of the FBI is like profiling is whether the crime was organized or disorganized. And that dichotomy is actually false. Like, yeah, every I'll get into that. No, (laughs) no, you're right, though. You're totally right. Um, And it is like Marta was saying, it's a pretty new area of study. Like even if you're thinking of it going back to the 60s, like that seems like a long time ago sometimes. But in the grand scheme of Mm -mm. things, that's really not that long ago. And it was really like the 80s when it 
started to get a lot of popularity and traction. So it's a fairly new field, fairly few boundaries or definitions within that field. Like Marta was saying, a lot of people who practice criminal profiling don't always agree on the same methodology or the same language and terminology within it. And a lot of the knowledge they have is also like based on not methodologically sound study yeah like a lot of the interviews that were run in that um when i read mindhunter so like Mm -hmm. by the fbi the interviews of criminals like they were just kind of like more casual conversation like do what you can to get the information out and there was no like structure or maybe there was structure but if there was it wasn't scientific So as Marta was mentioning earlier, in the late 70s, Douglas and Ressler were like early pioneers of the FBI's criminal profiling unit. And they wanted to know if there was a pattern that connected the killer's life and personality with the nature of their crime. So they were trying to find uh, what's called a homology, which is an agreement between character and action. Um, Now, Marta was talking just a moment ago about uh, how they put together that like organized disorganized in the end they only actually interviewed 35 murderers in california to put together that organized disorganized thing um that's how they found this like killers fall into one of two groups they're either organized or they're disorganized so like the sample size they're working with was questionable and if you guys remember all of my rantings about studies the smaller the sample size the worse the evidence is meta-analysis or bust (laughs) yes um yeah so what they found was uh, and i'm just going to outline this for you because i'm going to critique it in a moment so an organized crime scene shows evidence of logic and planning like the victim has been hunted and selected to fulfill a fantasy for example or the recruitment of the victim might involve a ruse or a con or the offender maintains control of the situation like he's adaptable and mobile never leaves a weapon behind uh, meticulously conceals the body so on the reverse of that a disorganized crime scene would show the opposite right the victim isn't chosen logically it's like random or like a blitz attack uh, instead of like having stalked them or the killer might grab a steak knife from the kitchen or leave the knife behind or the crime is just sloppily executed and the victim had a chance to fight back or uh, the crime took place in a high-risk environment um maybe the killer isn't even really interested in who the victim is. Like it's not about the victim necessarily. And they may even have taken steps to like um, obfuscate the victim by like making them unconscious or like covering their face or something like that. So Douglas and uh, and Ressler, they argued that each of these crime scene styles correlated to a personality type for the killer. So an organized killer is intelligent and articulate and feels superior to the people around him um, or her, I suppose. But I'm. all my notes say him. Um, That's fine. They're careful and they're meticulous. Um, a disorganized would be a disorganized killer would be unattractive or have a poor self in it image or maybe has a disability or, you know, they're um, withdrawn or strange as far as like society might judge them. They're probably not married or in a relationship as a result. They probably live alone or they live with their parents or they have a shitty car if they even drive and things like that. So 
all of that, when you read it out like that, it makes a lot of sense. Like it, it sounds logical. But um, there was a study done by a group of psychologists at the University of Liverpool to try and test the FBI's ooh, assumptions. Ooh, that's my guy. Oh, that's, yeah. Um, that's I have his name. Dr. David A. Cantor. He founded the Investigative Psychology Institute in Liverpool. Oh, yeah. uh, I think this is a different guy. Oh, really? Yeah, I think this well, is different. Part of the same. Whatever. It's the same. Okay. No. <laughs> yeah, it's the same. All right. Well, um, I got very excited because I also have a guy in Liverpool. Um, I, it may come up, actually, but I'm pretty sure this guy's name starts with an A and... Is it David? <laughs> no, it's... Lawrence Allison. Uh, Lawrence Allison is the guy who drove I this. Not have him. Um, then, in any case, just as a side note, um, if you guys want to listen to our personality episode, you'll know that that's just creating a profile based on behaviors is bullshit. Yeah, and personality type doesn't really exist. It's just a collection of traits. Hmm, sorry. Yeah. Um, no, you're you're absolutely right. Like your personality may affect your behaviors, but analyzing behaviors to, like it might not work the other way around because like you say environment and situations so greatly affect yeah how you behave within them. So yeah, like like we were saying earlier, repeated behaviors could be indicative of a personality, but yeah. You know. Um anyway, so this uh this study done in the University of Liverpool, they theorized um that if the organized and disorganized uh, killer understanding that the FBI was working with was correct, then crime scene traits would co-occur. So what I mean by that is if you find one or more organized traits in a crime, there should be a reasonably high probability of seeing other organized traits. And same for disorganized. If you see one or more disorganized traits, you're going to find a bunch of disorganized traits. Mm -hmm. um, so they made a list of crime scene characteristics that are generally considered to show organization like the victim was alive during the sex act or the body was posed in a certain way or the murder weapon is missing, the body was concealed, that sort of thing. And then they made a list of disorganized traits like the victim was beaten or the body was left in an isolated spot or the, the victim's belongings were scattered, the murder weapon was improvised, those sorts of things. This is exactly the study I was going to say. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, then maybe... No, 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 go ahead. Okay. Um, I just I might have just said it anecdotally. The name wrong, but oh no the the guy the the guy that founded the institute isn't necessarily the guy that conducted the study. Oh, okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um. So when they looked at a sample of a hundred serial crimes, it was clear that the crime scenes almost always show a mixture of a few organized traits and a few disorganized traits as well. So they couldn't find support for the FBI's distinction that, and instead they found that crimes really don't fall into one category or another. It's almost always a mix of a few organized and a few disorganized traits as well. So that's one criticism. Um, another is, so detectives use profiles to narrow down a range of suspects, but it doesn't do any good to get a specific detail right if you're getting general details wrong. So an example of this is the Trailside Killer, which is uh, uh, John Douglas, yes. who um, he created a profile for the Trailside Killer, who he would be, and provided what seemed like really useful details that the killer would have a speech impediment. But 
He pegged the offender's age as early 30s, and it turned out that the killer was actually 50. So specific details, even though it seems helpful, a specific detail like the killer will have a speech impediment, specific details like that aren't all that helpful if you're getting big general details wrong. Wasn't he also like super blind or had a really weird like prescription for his glasses? Oh, I don't remember that. I think it was that... um, he yeah he had a really weird prescription for his glasses and that any optometrist who had made that prescription would know like that they made it and for who because it was so weird wow or something like that i did not catch that but it was the reason he said that the guy had a speech impediment was the way that like the he took the victim so far into like the woods or like so distant from civilization Mm -hmm. to commit the crime and like leave the body and so it was like concealing like he didn't want to be seen or he didn't want to be like you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. um and it was thought that it's because like he had some sort of disfigurement Something or some, wrong. Yeah, yeah yeah that he was self-conscious about it so that's where he got the um suggestion that he could have a speech impediment which is like incredible right to get that kind of detail right is really astounding yeah but like i'm gonna go another it. part of it is like you're determining Things like age and, and gender and and race and all other sorts of statistics or pardon me, all other sorts of details. And like someone's age is probably, <laughs> you know what I mean? The like, thing. yeah. Um, so another example is the Baton Rouge serial killer. The FBI profile said that um, this Baton Rouge serial killer would want to be seen as someone who is appealing to women, but he would have low sophistication in interacting with women and that he would be really awkward with women. Um, he would also be white, have a blue collar job, be between 25 and 35. But in reality, the actual killer, Derek Todd Lee, uh, he turned out to be super charming and really outgoing with a ton of girlfriends. He had a reputation of being a ladies man and he did have a blue collar job and he was between 25 and 35, but he was black. Um, so, so those are just a couple of things where like, yeah, getting so specific details. Great. That that's incredible. It seems so like those are the ones probably that you're going to pay attention to because they're just like so amazing. Yeah. But you like misidentified his age or you misidentified his race. And like, those are things that like general, yeah, specific details aren't that helpful if general details are wrong. Yeah. And yeah. I also wonder just like how many studies have been conducted on serial killers? Like how many personality tests have been done on serial killers? Like how much do we actually know about them? And the whole, like one of the defining characteristics of a serial killer is that they are an outlier. Like mm-hmm. it's not that most people are serial killers, it's that most people are not. So like yeah. if you're trying to predict who they are, like we're already at a loss because they're a serial killer. And like, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Also, what if the profile is super vague? What are you supposed to do with that then? It's like like a horoscope. Yeah, exactly. It's like a horoscope. Like if you say the example that I said and uh, we can maybe cut this if we have to. But like, let's say the profile is you're looking for a large white man with blue collar employment between 30 and 45 who likely doesn't have uh, much education after high school, if any at all. And the crime took place in my hometown of Woodstock, Ontario. You've just described like 40% of the population. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, go to any, go to small town, Ontario. Yeah. Like you're describing at least half the people I went to high school with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So basically like what's a detective supposed to do with that? 
Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Um, In the mid-90s, the British Home Office analyzed 184 crime scenes to see how many times profiles led to the arrest of a criminal. And the Mm -hmm. success rate was 5 out of 184. So that's 2.7%. And that success rate kind of makes sense when you think about the fact that... um, Like, what does a detective do with a profile? Do you focus on the fact that, like, when you get a profile and you get get all of these details, do you focus on the fact that they're suggesting a blue-collar job, that he's white, that he's awkward with women, or that he has a stutter? Like, do you use 100% of the profile? Like, how do you judge? Like, it's, it's... Who creates the profile is part of... of, um, what the results are but also who ends up using it and um and what they end up doing with it how they interpret the profile how they match the profile to the other facts that they have so like yeah just how do you how do you decide what aspects of the profile to use and ignore but also i don't know how accurate that number could be for two reasons is even if the profile is accurate and they find the right guy like he could he might not be convicted for whatever reason because the trial was mishandled or whatever. And also, like, let's say your your profile is 100% accurate. How do you find that person? Uh, the study was just on what led to an arrest. Oh, so okay. I don't know about the trial, but I know what, you, I know what yeah. you're trying to say. But then, okay, so even with arrests, like, what if it's somebody that's not already known to police? Like, how are you going to know? Like, oh, this person's like in their mid-20s and they're over six foot tall and they have blonde hair and they have pictures of Hello Kitty in their bedroom. Like, what are you going to do? Find everybody who's in their, in their mid-20s and then check their bedroom like for pictures of Hello Kitty, like how even if your profile is 100% correct, you still might not ever find the person. Yeah. So, yeah, there's always a pretty large degree of error, I think, or chance. Yeah. Yeah. Chance, I think, is an interesting way to put it. Um, The University of Liverpool group that I mentioned earlier, they also looked for the same kind of homology that Douglas and Ressler were trying to find, um, like that a certain type of crime should correspond to a certain type of criminal. So they selected 100 stranger rape cases in the UK and classified them according to 28 variables. Like, was there a disguise worn were there compliments given to the victim um was there binding or gagging or blindfolding um did the assailant apologize did the effect did they steal anything from the victim those sorts of things um they also looked at whether or not the patterns in the crimes corresponded to the attributes of the criminals like age their type of employment their ethnicity their level of education marital status prior convictions things like that so they were trying to find whether rapists who would, for example, bind, gag, and blindfold their victims were more like one another than they were like rapists who complimented a victim or apologized to their Mm -hmm. victim. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the answer is no. Um, Mm. A quote from forensic scientist Brent Turvey, who is really, he's very critical of criminal profiling. The quote is, the fact is that different offenders can exhibit the same behaviors for completely different reasons. Mm-hmm. You've got a rapist who attacks a woman in the park and pulls her shirt up over her face. Why? What does that mean? There are 10 different things it could mean. It could mean he doesn't want to see her. It could mean he doesn't want her to see him. It could mean he wants to see her breasts. It could mean, um, or he 
he wants to imagine someone else. He wants to incapacitate her arms. All of these are possibilities. You can't look at one behavior in isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so another question, um, why is all of this happening? Like, why is all of this happening, you know? <laughs> and the answer could be language. Hmm. So uh, Lawrence Allison, he was one of the leaders of that Liverpool group, and he's also the author of the Forensic Psychologist's Casebook. He reviewed a case where a teacher was killed on the rooftop of her apartment building in the Bronx and analyzed the criminal profile from that case. And he found that when he broke down the killer analysis, um, like for the pro- the profile of that killer, mm. um, sentence by sentence, it was filled with unverifiable, contradictory, and ambiguous language that could support virtually any interpretation, just like a cold reading or a horoscope. Yeah. Um, so this this was a big point in the Malcolm Gladwell article. He related this to a bunch of really common con techniques, like the the rainbow ruse, which is a statement that credits the client um, with both a personality trait and its opposite. So hmm. you're hot and you're cold or something like that. Yes. Um, the Barnum statement, which is an assertion so general that anyone would agree with it. Like you're calm except for when you're not. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay. The fuzzy fact, the seemingly factual statement couched in a way that leaves plenty of scope to be developed into something more specific. Uh, the vanishing negative. This one I like a lot. Um, you don't like cats, do you? No, didn't think so. You're more of a dog person. You don't have a dog, do you? Yeah, actually, I do. Oh, I thought so. So, yeah, yeah those sorts of things. Um So after analyzing the criminal profile of this rooftop killer, he gave the case information and the description of the actual killer to a group of senior officers in England and asked them to tell him how well the analysis, the criminal profile, how well did it align with the killer's actual personality? And they all said it matched perfectly. Hmm. So then he gave the case information and the description of a fake imaginary killer with a bunch of different characteristics from the real killer. Um, He gave that to a different group of officers and asked them to tell him how well it it aligned (laughs) with the killer's personality. You go ahead and guess. They said it matched perfectly. Matched perfectly. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Is this so it's, confirmation bias, maybe? Uh, maybe. I hadn't thought of that. Um, so uh, switching gears a little bit, the BTK case is one where the profile that was made for the killer um, is is regarded as being like very accurate. And I'm pretty sure Douglas and Wrestler and Walter, is that the other guy? The three of them put the, yeah, the profile did. together. Um, so... It's is touted as being very accurate, but when you break down what was in that profile, as Malcolm Gladwell did, um, John Douglas described in the book um, Inside the Mind of BTK, uh, it was 1984, killer's still at large, um, and he's working with Wrestler and Walker um, to and two detectives from the Wichita Police Department were going through all of the details of the case. So they're looking at things like, okay, he started in 1974, and he was in his mid to late 20s and now it's 10 years later so that's going to make him mid to late 30s um btk never engaged in any sexual penetration in the victims which suggests somebody with an inadequate immature sexual history he would be a lone wolf type of personality 
but he's not alone because he's shunned by others. It's because he chooses to be alone. He can function in social settings, but only on the surface. He may have some women friends he can talk to, but he'd feel really inadequate with peer group females. He would be heavily into masturbation, what guy isn't um <laughs> and this is something that they took from the crime scene by the way because he didn't that he was he would be really into masturbation because he didn't penetrate any of the victims um so women who had sex with him would say that he would describe him as aloof uninvolved and the type of guy who's more interested in her servicing him than the other way around again that's a pretty general Mm. thing to say um following also, like, he's good in social si- situations but only but on the surface all, yeah but like okay so then if somebody's not good in social situations you're like yeah that's below the surface he could interact with women but he can't like yeah. yeah um so following that lead on the the women who've had sex with him in the past and what they would say he douglas predicted that women he's been with are either many years younger very naive or much older uh and also with this, I would like it to be like, it, there's a 65% likelihood that he is this because of this. Like this, this is usually linked to this with yeah. 45%. Yeah. Um, another point was that he would drive a decent but nondescript vehicle. Okay. So like pretty any mid-range <laughs> car. Um, they originally thought that BTK was married, but then they started thinking maybe he's divorced. Um one of the agents speculated that BTK was lower middle class, probably living in a rental, working in a lower paying white collar job as opposed to a blue collar job. But then another agent saw him as middle class and articulate. So like even within the discussion, there's um, sounds they like may not of, agree. Sounds like a lot of shit was just thrown against the wall to see it would stick. Um, they did con- that there was a consensus that he had a high IQ somewhere between 105 and 145. Um, they wondered if he was connected to the military. They thought he was a now person who needed instant gratification, um, suggested that people who knew him might say they remember him, but didn't really know much about him. Mm, nondescript, um, but not shitty. Yeah. Maybe had a job with a uniform. Maybe. Uh, not mental, but crazy like a fox. What, so What even? And then also, like, when you have, what is it, a simile? in a description like in a criminal profile like crazy like a fox like then it's not scientific if there's a simile in there well it's also saying he's not crazy but he is crazy yeah so it's sort of like it's one of those things um what was it not the vanishing negative but one of those other items that i mentioned a moment ago where it's like opposing yeah you're giving you're giving a statement that can be true in whatever way you take it yeah and like it can be true or it can be false like and it it's correct either way. I think that criminal profile should read more, like slightly more like legal documents. Like when this word is used, it means this. So like mental, it means this. Yeah. Well, and like keep in mind, it was again still in the pioneering days of criminal profiling. So maybe this True is that. just an area that needs to grow and become more scientific so that like, because there are success stories, right? Medicine didn't used to be scientific. Well, and even medical doctors, like they're, um, I'm not saying anything against a medical doctor but like they're they're using their experience they're using their education they're using the things at their disposal they're not going to give you a seal of like a certificate of guarantee saying if you come to me i'll fix you you know what i mean like they're they're doing the best they can with the education and experiences that they have yeah and a criminal profiler would do the same sort of thing but it doesn't guarantee accuracy um but also like back to that 
BTK breakdown there, how many different types of people could that have described? And none of it touched on the fact that BTK was prominent in his community. He was the president of his church. He was married and a father of two. Not mental, but crazy like a fox. But couldn't get that he was a father. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that 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 sort of thing would also really narrow down who to look at. Like, am I looking for somebody who has children or not? Am I looking for somebody who's with a partner right now? Am I like, am I looking for a prominent member of this community? Um, and you can, I think that you can kind of just like never know because people in relationships will always act differently. People, parents, there's like absentee fathers and then people who have turned their lives around when they had yeah. kids. Like, like, there's I don't think we'll ever have like I don't think it'll ever be that precise or that scientific like well it can be more scientific but then I think what we'll see is that they're they, they'll claim to be much less precise so as it gets more scientific it'll be like this could be the guy but it's not a guarantee that yeah. this is the guy yeah, yeah. as opposed well, to the current profiles are like this is your guy and probably I would see it growing to be less specific like the um the mad bomber guy the guy who put that profile together made a claim that when you arrest him he'll be wearing a double-breasted suit buttoned up and he was he was yeah and so like that gives all this sort of like wow what an amazing thing but like if he had been wearing a t-shirt would you have cared so much that the profiler suggested he'd be wearing a suit or what if the suit wasn't double-breasted you know or it was inside job and the profiler knew him yeah well that that didn't turn out to be the case but (laughs) yeah you're right um but basically when you're looking at criminal profiling in this way it shows that the approach allows for multiple interpretations to be made and it doesn't necessarily give a clear description of the culprit just like a lot of personality traits that i have certainly match that i'm a leo but they also match me as a libra and a scorpio and a gemini and a sagittarius no i don't know what you're talking about i'm a cancer (laughs) for sure um I'm stubborn. <laughs> yeah, but so are Taurus. <laughs> True. And yeah, anyway. Uh, and so are Leo. Like, I'm stubborn too. Um, anyway, despite all of this, criminal profiling is still super popular. Like, yep. there's a ton of criticisms, a ton of super valid criticisms that it's more of a pseudoscience. Um, but people still believe it. Like, there's still a department of the FBI dedicated to it, right? Yeah. Um, a 2007 meta-analysis of existing research into offender profiling noted that there was a notable incongruity between profiling's lack of imperial foundation and the degree of support for the field. So, like, even though there's not a lot of empirical evidence, there's still a lot of support in the field. Which is interesting that it's really supported, like, because it's, it's like, very soft-skilled oriented. Yeah, well, it's, like, it's behavioral science. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's behavioral science, so it's, like, an arts kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that, like, these tough people, like, you think of, when you think of the police force, you think of, like tough-minded, like, fact-based people. And they're like, oh, yeah, this uh, frou-frou, fuzzy-lined thing. (laughs) Like, yeah, I believe in it. Yeah. Yeah, you made that up. Oh, you dreamed this one? That'll be even better. Yeah. Um, Well... And and um, what's interesting is like this type of behavioral science is effective in other areas like advertising and understanding how to appeal to a presumed consumer. Companies spend t- 
tons of money and resources acquiring really detailed data to use towards building profiles of their consumers. So, and also politics. This this is done yes. in politics as well, gaining better understanding of your constituents so that you can better appeal to them and um, gain their support, gain their trust, whatever. I heard, um, a, sorry, I'm going to interrupt. I heard yeah. a study that might actually link to why criminal profiling has so much support. Um humans as a whole we are more likely to be spiritual or like have faith in religion when things when unexpected or unexplainable things mm-hmm. happen mm-hmm. so when something like unexpected happens like there is a serial killer doing something that's very unexpected we're more likely to turn our when we can't explain it when you have no way to explain it we're more likely to be like oh okay well this is why and just like make up a reason we're mm-hmm. more uh we're more like favorable towards the faith-based or like spiritual-based approach. So maybe that's why like police officers who are very logical, systematic, fact-based, when there's somebody this crazy like a uh, serial killer, they're like, oh yeah, sure, let's go with the intuition-based approach because there's nothing else to explain it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it could be part of like what's driving the bias or like what's driving the support. That's an interesting point. Um, yeah, um, it, it's it's... All pretty interesting, and it is like um, like some behaviors at a crime scene could disclose information about the perpetrator, and there are factual things yeah. that you can draw upon, like that usually a serial killer kills within their own race, and so if the victim is white, then the killer is probably white. To or like a 30 degree percent of certainty or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So like there is... Um, the more you can profile an offender, the better the the value of those sorts of predictions. Those sort like it, it it's not without value completely, but I think it's like maybe a grain of salt kind mm. of thing. Or a um, box. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and another thing is. Uh, sometimes profiling isn't used necessarily to say this is who your killer is. Sometimes profiling is used to tie multiple crimes to get together and not yeah. say this is who the victim is, but that um, these crimes were committed by the same, or yeah. not this is who the victim is, this is who the offender is, and these crimes were all committed by the same offender. That's called linkage analysis. So when you're using linkage analysis, if law enforcement are able to link crimes together, they can learn that an unknown offender is perhaps targeting a specific demographic or location. They can warn that group or they can, you know, move to protect um, that group or that area from yeah. becoming victims of a future crime. So, like, it's not without value, but it's in how it is used. Um, and these cases that are, like, really incredible and jaw-dropping and those sorts of things, they're... they're um, outliers and even in those cases like we were talking about the mad bomber we were talking about btk even in those cases there's lots of things wrong there's lots of things that the profiler didn't get yes they got some like really amazing like sort of sexy um uh headline type uh things right but there's lots of important things they got wrong too and like maybe double-breasted suits were in style yeah maybe everyone was wearing them yeah it was like fall outside and yeah, like it's like saying, oh, this person will be wearing rain boots and the it's raining. Other thing is the Mad Bomber guy. He wasn't wearing a double-breasted suit when they opened the door. He knew he was getting arrested. He went and changed into a suit, and he had just put on a he put on a suit because he was getting arrested. And this is like 
like I'm gonna this, this is, is my, my last, last outfit yeah. kind of thing and so yeah I'm gonna button it up like why did he get, oh, just and they allowed it they're like yeah sure go I don't know it's the 50s like oh, I don't know true. what they do and he was also white so they were probably really trusting I don't know <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah it it profiling doesn't solve crimes on its own like uh, saying that I think that's where the real problem would lie like you need old-fashioned police work you need forensic science um, like forensic psychologists you know you, you need all of that um, it doesn't work without sol- solid police work and investigations mm-hmm. um, and even though like I say, we listed a lot of, of reasons why you could consider it a pseudoscience. Yeah, there are pretty incredible success cases that give it some some weight. Um, on the note of the Mad Bomber, though, uh, a bit of information I just wanted to share because I thought it was really rock and roll. Um, it's worth <laughs> noting that the bomber wasn't caught by the guy who wrote the profile, even though that's what it seems like now. The bomber was caught by a woman named Alice Kelly, who had been assigned to go through Con Edison's personnel files. When she was going through the personnel files, she ran across an employee complaint from the early 1930s. A generator wiper at at one of their plants had been knocked down by a backdraft of hot gases, and the worker said that he was injured, and the company said that he wasn't. So she found a flood of angry letters from the ex-employee, spotted a threat to take justice into my own hands that had appeared in one of the Mad Bomber's letters, and the name on the file was... George Metesky, the Mad Bomber. How did they not like? But the profiler gets credit. What about the HR person who like received all of those letters? That person wasn't like, oh hey, by the way, we've gotten like <laughs> some guy is like threatening us. Yeah, we've gotten like three hundred and seventy six letters from this dude, but like it's probably not him. But he will take justice into his own hands. But it's not him. Yeah. Also, forget you, woman in history. Yeah, Alice Kelly. Whoop whoop. Right on. Yeah. Um, so so that's where I'm at, other than like musings on how it made me think of True Detective because I'm watching season one right yes. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that was great. Thank you for really carrying that episode on your back. Oh, no, 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 not at all. Um, and that's pretty much everything that we had to say for criminal profiling. I think that it does have value and forensic psychology, investigative psychology has a lot of value, but it needs to be like, especially criminal profiling needs to be held with a grain of salt. Well, and criticisms are important, right? Like in order for something to be able to be taken seriously, it has to stand up to criticisms. Yeah. 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 Like, and, and there's lots of things in, like you brought up the medical community where like, there's lots of aspects to medicine that were not always, um, it was insane. Yeah, you know what I mean? But like you you prove yourself right. So not to say that it, it there's no way that we could use criminal profiling or that like it has absolutely no value. It certainly does. And I think the more it's criticized and the more it stands up to criticism, the better the field can grow. Yeah. 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 In the same way that we used to have like lie detector tests be the be all end all. Like, and we know that like, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's something we like the idea of criminal profiling um i think that it would be really nice if everything worked the way it does in criminal minds but i think it would be nice if i could read the paper and find out my future so (laughs) that's also true (laughs) (laughs) thank you guys again again for listening we 
have been talking to you guys on social media and that's been really nice. Yeah, we've had a few people send out some shout outs and reach out with some like personal stories, which has been really cool. Yeah. And we're also open to topic suggestions. We had a bunch of topics that we were really excited to cover and to talk about. And we're kind of reaching the end of the ones that we had preemptively decided on. So if there's anything that you guys want to hear a format that you want us to try out we're open to all suggestions so send us that to who knew we didn't at gmail.com or you can reach us on facebook or yeah anywhere. instagram twitter uh patreon we yeah who knew we didn't everywhere use the hashtag wkwd i'm still trying to get it rolling but it's not working yet <laughs> or just like tweet at us but yeah give marta one of those hashtags she just she just wants to see it i'll happen. be so excited <laughs> yeah it, and would that's be, it would make her birthday Thanks so much for listening, guys, and have a good day. Bye. Bye.